So as we continue in our series on Ten Commandments, uh, we want to address yet again the purpose of the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, this is a three-part series uh, inside a larger whole series on Ten Commandments, uh, which is we're, we're looking at the purpose. And today, we're going to look at part two out of three, okay? So last week, you may remember, uh, we looked at the first purpose of the Ten Commandments. First and most importantly, the Ten Commandments are meant to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. Okay, they're meant to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. That's the, that's the first and primary purpose of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments are not just a, a list of rules. They're not just a, a bunch of random things put together. Uh, they're not just a list of criteria that you can use to gauge how your walk with the Lord is going, uh, although maybe that could be true. They're more than that. The Ten Commandments are a signal. They're a signal. Uh, they're a signpost, or kind of like what we looked at last time, they're a billboard. They're a billboard. Uh, and uh, I kind of used the illustration last time, and I've actually got a PowerPoint now. Uh, I used an illustration of this, you know, In-N-Out Burger sign, right? And uh, the irrational thing to do when you see such a sign is to think that the double-double is the real deal, right? And you want to go run up to it and start eating the double-double on the sign. Well, that's illogical. You don't want to do that. That's ridiculous, right? Well, what's, what's the logical thing to do? It's to treat it as a sign. It's to treat it the way it's intended to be treated, a sign pointing you to the real double-double, which is apparently at Monte Vista uh, and then right on Countryside. So that's, that's, it's pointing you in the right direction. This is not where the double-double's at. The double-double is somewhere else, and this is pointing you to the right place. And that's the way we need to see the Ten Commandments. They were never intended to be a list of rules that make God happy with us. That's not the point. That's not the point at all. They're supposed to point you to something else. And what we discovered last week is that they point you to God. They point you to God. Who is God? What's he all about? The Ten Commandments give you a visual picture of who God is and what he's all about. And we walked through each commandment and showed how each one illustrates something about God. And so what we saw was uh, all the different Ten Commandments in order. We saw these different theological principles that are produced from each commandment. When you don't have any other gods before God, you're saying God is highest. With no idols, it's that God is never lower than he really is. When you don't take the Lord's name in vain, God should be taken seriously. Uh, when you uh, keep the Sabbath, you're, you're proclaiming that God controls everything. Time, resources, everything. Uh, when you honor your parents, you're saying that God values authority. Uh, when you don't murder, you're saying God values life. Uh, when you don't commit adultery, God values relationship. When you don't steal, God values ownership. When you don't bear false witness, God values justice. And when you don't covet, God values contentment. Okay, we saw all this last time. So all these, com all these commandments communicate something about God, either a characteristic of who he is, like, you know, he is highest, uh, he is supreme, or something that he's all about, like he values life or he values justice, things like that, okay? Now, God could have announced to the world who he is and, all who he is and what he's all about through words, right? He could have just, you know, opened up the skies, 
and like sounded trumpets and said, this is who I am. And the whole world is going to know this about who I am. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that. What did he do? He gave the Ten Commandments and he gave the entire law for a people to live it out and to demonstrate it. And so he chose to use people, not words. He chose to use actions and life and visual cues to showcase who he is and what he's all about. You see, God operates on the principle that actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. Uh, You may have even heard the phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words, right? You've probably heard that phrase before. When you effectively live out the Ten Commandments, you are painting a picture of God worth far more than a thousand words. That's what you're doing when you live out the Ten Commandments. And that's what the Ten Commandments were designed to be. The Ten Commandments are meant to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. But that's not all. That's not all. You see, that's just one big and important purpose out of three. Uh, There are still two more purposes we must consider. And this morning, I want to tackle the second purpose, okay? Now, last week, we walked through uh, commandment by commandment in order, right? We walked by commandment by commandment. Uh, And we showed, I kind of showed you how each commandment builds on the last one. There's kind of a progression that is created by the Ten Commandments. Uh, You know, if you have no other gods before the one true God, which is the first commandment, and you don't turn him into an idol, which is the second commandment, then how are you going to treat him? Well, the third commandment says you won't take his name in vain. You will take him seriously. You will take him at his word. You will take him for who he is, the highest and the most supreme God, and you will treat him the way he's supposed to be treated, with the utmost respect. That's the idea. And that's how the Ten Commandments flow. Each one builds on the one before it. But there's another way you can look at the Ten Commandments. There's another way. There's another way you can break this up. And some of you already know this. You're already aware of this. And you may not even know that you're aware of it. But I know some of you are aware of it because you told me you're aware of it. So this actually might be a little bit of a review for you. You can break the Ten Commandments down into two parts, okay? You can break them down into two parts. The first part you can break them down into is, let's see, how do I do this? I'll do it like this. You can break it down, and I'll just erase this, into two parts. The first part has to do with your relationship with God. The first four commandments have to do with your relationship with God. The last four commandments have to do, well, what do you think? What do the last four commandments have to do with? If, if this is your relationship with God, what are the last five or what last six commandments? How you act. The, how you act. Okay. That's partly true. Relationship with man. Yeah, very good. Relationship with others, right? Relationship with others. So it's, it's kind of obvious once you see it, so. This is your relationship with God, the first four commandments. The last six are relationship with others, okay? Honoring your parents, not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not bearing false, false witness, not coveting. 
all of these have directly to do with others. But having no other gods before the one true God, not making him into an idol, not uh, taking his name in vain and keeping the Sabbath holy, all of these directly have to do with God. Okay? And so the Ten Commandments are not just ten rules in sequential order. Uh, they can also be broken down into these two parts. Uh, one part has to do with how you relate to God. One part has to do with how you relate to others. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. And this is, this is, uh, this should look familiar to you if you've been coming, uh, to our Unstained series on Wednesday nights uh, this last semester, this passage should, should sound very familiar, very familiar. Now notice what it says here, okay? It says, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, one of them a lawyer, and asked him a question. This is, uh, do you guys know where I'm at? Verse 34? Sorry, verse 34. I may have forgotten to mention that. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets, okay? Jesus claims these are the top two commandments in the entire Old Testament. Where did Jesus get this from? Where did he get this from? Did he just make this up, that these were the two top commandments? Or was there something in the Old Testament that says, hey, these are the top two commandments? There's not really anything that directly says that. So where did Jesus get this from? Why aren't the two greatest commandments Maybe the first two commandments of the ten. These are pretty important, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not uh, you know, make an idol or an image or anything like that. These are pretty important. Why are these two, though? Love your Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why are those the two greatest commandments? Jesus selects these two because Jesus understands how the ten commandments work. He understands that. He knows their purpose, and he knows that these two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, sum up the Ten Commandments. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. The, those two commandments sum up the two parts of the Ten Commandments. That's where Jesus got this from. So this isn't coming out of thin air. Jesus understands how the Ten Commandments are working, how they work, and what their purpose is. Okay? Now, you know, what does it mean to love God? The first four commandments tell us what it means to love God. You shall have no other gods before God. You shall not make him an entitle, to an idol. You shall not take his name in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath holy. That's what it means primarily to love God. Okay? The last six commandments, what does it mean to love others? 
Well, those say, honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet. That's what it means to love others. So Jesus didn't just pick these out of thin air here, okay? He knew their function, and he knew that they operated as an outline for the Ten Commandments. So if you could boil the Ten Commandments down into two commandments, it would be love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you could boil it down. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Love God and love others are not two separate commands in their own little worlds, okay? It's not just, okay, I've got my, my love, love God down, I've got my love others down, and they're totally distinct from each other. That's not how it works, actually. The Ten Commandments are also meant to show your love for God by your love for others. The Ten Commandments are meant to show your love for God by your love for others. Your love for other people cannot be separated from your love for God. Uh, they go together like peanut butter and jelly, right? You know, or, uh, you know, like, um, like a ham and cheese sandwich. They just, they just go together really well. They're supposed to go together. Everyone has friends. Everyone has friends. Even shy people have friends to one degree or another. Now, I don't know about you, but when I make friends, I find it easier to become a friend with someone I have common interests with, right? Someone who, like, shares similar, you know, I don't know, interests, and, and, uh, and we like to do the same things. We like to spend, spend time doing the same things. Uh, I like to hang out with people who enjoy talking about the same kinds of things. You know, people are friends with other people because they share things in common, right? You know, normally, if, if you have a friend, you share things in common with that friend. You like to do stuff together. You like to hang out together and do the same kinds of things. The Ten Commandments work in exactly the same way. They work exactly the same way. You know, right now, I've got them lined up in their sequential order here. But did you know there are certain commandments that are better friends with other commandments, with some commandments more than others? There are some that actually have more in common from this side with ones on this side. There's act, like Even though there's a division here, they actually like group up in different ways. And so... The, there, in one sense, you could actually think about it like a click. You guys know what a click is? A click is like, you know, like if we were to like, if, we, I, was, if I was to like break up this room here, uh, we have, you know, we have a bunch of, you know, students in the room, but there are some of you guys that may want to like spend more time together because you have like common interests and you really enjoy hanging out together. There may be like groups within a larger group, and that's called a click. Well, there are clicks inside the Ten Commandments. There are like commandments that should pair up together. And if you're like, well, that's really weird. And how do we know that's true? And is that really true? Well, let me show you how that's true, okay? I'm going to actually use the, uh, uh, the PowerPoint here to kind of help illustrate this for you, okay? I don't know if you can read this or not, but if not, you can try to follow along in your Bible as well. Uh, notice this, okay? Again, friends have things in common. 
there are going to be certain commandments that have things in common, okay? This is the first and second commandment. You shall, not, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now, notice how many times God shows up in these two commandments, okay? Three times. We have gods, God, God. God's a big deal in the first two commandments, okay? And if you're wondering, like, well, why is that such a big deal? Why, why is God a big deal? Because the first two commandments have to do with the supremacy of God. God is the ultimate and highest being in the universe. So the first two commandments naturally have to do with God, okay? But check out the fifth commandment. Check out the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. Notice God shows up two times in the fifth commandment. That's unparalleled throughout the rest of the Ten Commandments. God's name doesn't show up very often in the Ten Commandments, actually, but it shows up often in all three of these commandments. God is a big part of the fifth commandment as well. Why is that? Because the first and the second and the fifth commandments go together. They're buddies. They're like best friends. They like to hang out together because they're all about proclaiming the supremacy of God. Okay? They're all about proclaiming the supremacy of God. Okay? Let's look at another set of commandments. Okay? This is the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord shall not uh, leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Okay? You see the word shall not highlighted there? Okay. That's important. Look what's, once we get to the sixth, seventh, and eighth, and ninth commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness uh, against your neighbor. Over and over again, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. What's it doing? It's imitating commandment number three. Why? Because they're talking about the same thing. They're talking about exactly the same thing. Uh, it sounds familiar because it's talking about the exact same thing, which is the idea that it's all about respecting God's authority. So first we, we show that it's about the supremacy of God, but do we really respect it? Do we really respect it? Okay. Let's look at another one. Fourth commandment. Uh, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant or your ox or your donkey or any anything of your or any of your cattle that, uh, or your sojourner who stays with you okay you see that it has like this laundry list of things that you know should not work on the sick on the on the sabbath day male servant female servant all this kind of stuff okay keep that in mind because it's going to show up again tenth commandment you shall not covet uh, your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why is this replicated in the Tenth Commandment? Because they go together. They go together. They're buddies. They're best friends. Is this by accident? No. Nothing is by accident in the Bible. Don't be silly. This is very intentional, very intentional. The first four commandments each pair up with 
parts of the last six commandments. Because God wants you to see how you relate to other people directly. I'm sorry, how, how you relate to other people directly communicates how you relate to God. That's what it's trying to communicate. And so there's not just this sequential order that is created in the Ten Commandments that's designed to progress. There's also a built-in structure that helps you to see that what you do in your interaction with human beings communicates how you view God. Okay? And so there's really a second kind of structure here. Okay? I bet you didn't know I could do this, but I can. Okay? There's actually a structure within a structure that looks like this. Okay? And that's what your sheet is supposed to be. It's supposed to help you visualize that for you. You can just like write the numbers if you want in the little boxes or whatever, if you don't have room to write all the words, but um, and go back later and fill it in or something. So, But that's what this is. This is what that weird diagram on your note-taking sheet is, okay? So you can use that if you want. Uh, the pattern we see here tells you that your love for others reflects your love for God in very specific ways, very specific ways. And you might be saying to yourself, I've never heard of this before. This is weird. This is, like, different. Like, like why haven't I heard of this before? I know, it's true. Like, I, like I, I didn't know about this either for a long time. But it's important. It's very important to understand this. And it is there. You can see it in the text. There are, there are ways that it's designed to be put together like this, okay? We as Christians just don't study the Ten Commandments that much anymore. We don't. Uh, we don't take a good long look as to why they're there and what they're doing there. If we really take the time to figure out why God gave us the Ten Commandments, uh, we would see that these commandments are more than just a bunch of rules. They're more. We would actually begin to see how the Ten Commandments shape all of life. And this is how they begin to shape all of life. Now, this is what I was talking about a few weeks back when I said that the Ten Commandments will teach you to think and live biblically. This is what I'm talking about right here. The Ten Commandments build for you a logic of how to live life to the glory of God. Now, when someone asks us, or when someone asks you, what is the goal of every Christian? What is the ultimate goal of every single Christian? What would we normally say? What's the common answer? What's the ultimate goal of a Christian? Okay, that's true. But, yeah? To give God glory, yeah, to give God glory, ultimately. That's, that's more or less what I, what I usually hear. And that's, I think that's right. That's our job, is to give God glory. A, a huge way we do that is by spreading the gospel. That's a huge way. But sometimes I'm afraid we don't even know what we're talking about when we say glorify God. What does that mean? Can you spell that out for me? What does it mean to glorify God? And we're, we're kind of like, well, I don't know, just pray more and maybe read your Bible more. Well, maybe, kind of, but you really haven't demonstrated for me how does that bring God glory and what does it really mean to bring God glory? Give me some concrete ideas and ways that every second of my day I'm living it 
to the glory of God. The Ten Commandments spell out for us what it means to glorify God. That's what they do. There are concrete ways that we accomplish this. It's not just theoretical. It's not just abstract. It's practical. It's life. And this helps us see what that is. So the Ten Commandments are meant to show your love for God by your love for others. And each commandment from the first half has at least one partner in the second half telling us something about how our relationship with others reflects our relationship with God. So we walked through the Ten Commandments in order last time, but this morning, let me walk you through this pattern that I've created for you on the board uh, so that we can see just how these commandments actually go together. Right now, it might be a little bit confusing because this is new. This is probably new for you, okay? So I want to actually walk through what does it mean to actually honor your mother and your father as a reflection of saying that you honor God? What does it mean to not commit adultery, not commit murder or steal or bear false witness in, in the sense that you're, you're proclaiming that God's name shouldn't be taken in vain? What does it mean that I shouldn't covet in the way that I am actually honoring keeping the Sabbath holy? Okay? This is something I want us to walk through uh, in a very, very particular way this morning. Okay? So, uh, if you flip over your sheet, I have a three-point outline that will help you walk through this, okay? Let us walk through all three of these rows in order, okay? Number one, what we see in the first set of commandments here is how much you value human authority shows how much you value God's authority, okay? How much you value human authority shows how much you value God's authority, okay? So the first and second commandments go with the fifth commandment. That's, where, that's how we get this principle. Remember what the common factor is between all three of these commandments. It's the name of God. The name of God is the common factor. You've got to keep that in mind because that tells us how we get this principle that how much you value human authority shows how much you value God's authority. Okay? God's name appears in the first and second commandments because they describe for us his authority over the entire universe, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. He's the highest. You should never promote anything above God, and you should never demote God to the level of anything else. That's the principle that's kind of bound up in the first two commandments. But God's name also appears in the fifth commandment because it describes for us God's authority through human authority in this world. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. Okay? Don't forget the principle you show your love for God by your love for others here. Okay? You cannot separate your relationship with, with humans in this world from your relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. They go together. They're designed to go together. And the Ten Commandments help define this for us, okay? There's a natural tendency within all of us to divorce our personal walk with God from our interaction with other people. You know, a lot of people will say out there, I love God. I believe in Jesus. A lot of people say this. A lot of people will claim to be Christians. 
But you know what also they'll say? I don't like it when people tell me what to do. I don't really, I, I, don't, I, I, you know, I don't, you know, respect government. I don't respect authority over me. I don't respect my teachers. I don't respect my parents. What have you just done? You've created a divide between these commandments. Have you not? This is about God's authority. And we say we respect God's authority. But what have you done when you say, I don't respect human authority? You have actually proclaimed you really don't respect God's authority because they go together. You can't separate these two. They go together. They go together. And if you're like, well, is that true? Does the, New, does the New Testament actually talk about that or the Old Testament or the rest of the Bible? Yes, it does. 1 John 2, 9 through 11. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here's one from the book of James that we've, uh, we studied just recently. James chapter 3, verse 8. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord, and with it, we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. You can't do that. You can't bless God and then turn around and curse your neighbor. It doesn't work that way. Perhaps the clearest example of this is 1 John 4, 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You can't say, I obey God, I submit to him, but I don't care about obeying my parents. It doesn't work. If you don't obey your parents, then you're saying you really don't obey God. And let me put it very simply this way. You will never learn to obey God if you don't obey your parents. You will never learn to obey God if you won't obey your parents. That's how this works. That's how this works. If you decide to obey your parents or any God-given authority over you in this world, you are not, or sorry, you are telling everyone whether you want to or not, I really don't think God has authority over my life. Because God has actually given you that authority. God has put that authority over you. So if you say, I don't like that authority, what are you saying? Well, I don't really care for God's authority. See how that works? You call God, you call God your own God, and then you choose to disregard all other authority in your life. That's what we call hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. In fact, uh, there's actually a story about this. Who are the biggest hypocrites in the Bible? The Pharisees, right? Everyone knows about the Pharisees. And I love it because, you know, no one actually wants to say I'm a Pharisee, but everyone wants to point out, hey, I'm, they're the Pharisees. Guys, we're all Pharisees in one sense or another. Before we knew Christ, we were all Pharisees. And even when we sin against God, we're acting as a Pharisee. Uh, the Ten Commandments tell us that. But there's a story about the Pharisees. And... I don't know if you guys remember this, but there's a story about when Jesus talked about giving taxes to Caesar. How many of you guys remember this story? Giving taxes to Caesar. Okay. Yeah, it might sound familiar. You'll, you'll probably remember it when I start reading this for you, okay? This is from Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap Jesus in what he said. 
And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice, and he said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? You hypocrites. Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And so they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is, is, is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The Pharisees thought it was okay to give money to the temple, to give money to God. Yeah, we give offerings because that's God's, but we don't want to give taxes to Caesar. We don't want to respect the human authority over us. But Jesus saw through their scheme and he saw their hypocrisy. How can you be willing to respect God, but be unwilling to respect the human government that God has put over you? Jesus just weeded it out immediately from their hearts. He says, you can't say you respect God and disrespect authority. That's nonsense. That's utter nonsense. Now, I read this from Matthew chapter 22. You know what shows up in the exact same chapter? What we just read earlier. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is that a coincidence? No, that is not a coincidence. Loving others, even human authorities, proclaims that you love God, your ultimate authority. When you obey your parents or any authority over you, you are communicating something about your relationship with God. You are saying, I obey God first and foremost, and I will reflect his authority over me by respecting my parents' authority over me. So obeying your parents, obeying all kinds of authority, your teachers, um, you know, police officers, government, anyone who actually has authority over you is a big deal. It's not a small deal. It's a big deal. Okay? Number two. Number two. How you treat others shows how you treat God. How you treat others shows how you treat God. And so the third commandment goes with the sixth, seventh, and eighth, and ninth commandments. Okay, and remember the common factor here is shall not, shall not, shall not, shall not, just shows up over and over and over again. You know, why, why does God make such a big deal about this? Uh, why does God make such a big deal about not doing stuff? You ever notice that? There's so many commandments here about don't do this, don't do that. God's forbidding all these different things. Because there are some things in this world, if you participate in them, you will communicate that you really don't care about who God is and what he's all about you will begin to take his name in vain. So all these commandments are built on this commandment right here. Don't take God's name in vain. How do you do that? Well, you don't murder. You don't commit adultery. You don't steal. You don't bear false witness because you're communicating this is what God is all about. God is about life. God is about relationship. God is about ownership. God is about uh, justice. He's about all these things. And if you start breaking all of these, you're going to say, well, I don't really take God seriously. Even though God's all about these things, you know, who cares, right? Who cares? That's what you're going to say. And so, you know, it's kind of like the example I used last week. You know, you can say all you want, I love the United States of America, but what happens when you take up an American flag and just, like, drag it through the mud? Well, you're a hypocrite, right? 
you're a hypocrite. You say you love the United States, but you're willing to drag the flag that symbolizes your country through the mud? No, no. You've just claimed that you respect your higher authority, but you really acted like it's not true. You really acted like it's not true. Okay? And so there's, this, this is a big deal as well. Uh, once again, the book of Matthew here gives us a perfect illustration of how this works. Um, this is from Matthew chapter 25. Okay? And uh, you, might have prob- you might have heard this story as well, although it's not really a story. It's more of a, uh, a, an explanation from Jesus. He's talking about the last time when, when Jesus is going to return again. Jesus is talking about the time when he's going to return again. And he says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Well, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when do we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and we clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did to it, uh, you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying, look, I may be gone from this world. I may be gone. But when you actually respect people and you respect their life and you respect the relationships and you respect people's ownership and you respect uh, the justice in this world uh, with regard to other people, you're, you're basically doing the same to God. You're doing the same to God. They go together. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. And so Jesus makes this very, very apparent that this is the way it works. You can't say, well, I, I really respect God and I take him seriously and I'm, I, you know, I, I'm a good follower of Jesus and then just break all these commandments. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. How you treat others shows how you treat God. You can't separate the two. But number three, how you handle what you own shows how you handle God's ownership over your life. How you handle what you own shows how you handle God's ownership over your life. And so the fourth commandment goes together with the 10th commandment. Now, the common factor between these was that big laundry list of of different possessions, right? So male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, all this different stuff. In the fourth commandment, God says, I gave you everything you have, so I get to say how you use it. And that's why, that's why none of these people or animals in your possession are allowed to work on the Sabbath day, because I said so. That's what God basically says in the, in the fourth commandment. But in the tenth commandment, God says, since I own everything, I have given you some things and other people other things. You need to be content with what you have. So don't covet what doesn't belong to you. Okay? But there's something else to this. If you understand that there is a relationship between the fourth and the Ten Commandments, that there is a relationship between you know, God owning everything and you owning some things, then you will realize that what you own 
really doesn't belong to you in the first place. Okay? You know, your Xbox One or, you know, your PS4, you know, or your iTouch or, you know, all, all your, even all your school books and all your materials, uh, you know, your bed, all the stuff you own, it doesn't belong to you. Who does it belong to? It belongs to God. Because the fourth commandment says, I own everything, and I get to say how everything operates. Tenth commandment says, since I own everything, God says, since I own everything, I don't want you to covet anything, and I don't want you to misuse even what you own. And a good story about this is from Luke chapter 12. There's a story where Jesus confronts someone who is, uh, who is trying to uh, trying to get his brother to divide his her- inheritance with him. And he says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And so he told them this parable. The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began to uh, and began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What was wrong with this man wanting to build larger barns? The problem is this. He failed to see that, he, that God owned all of it. God owned all of it. And he hoarded his own possessions. So much so that he was unwilling to let any of it go. And so the 10th commandment, kind of piggybacks on the fourth commandment and says, you need to be content with what you have and use your resources the way God wants you to use your resources. Uh, There's a famous passage in Philippians 4 that even illustrates this even better, I think. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's Paul talking about there? Tenth commandment. Tenth commandment. Paul says, I know how this works. What I own is not really mine. It's not mine. I can be content if I have a lot or if I have a little because I know it's all from God, and I know that it communicates that God owns everything when I use it rightly, when I use it rightly. And that's what the Ten Commandments are all about here. It's about proclaiming who God is and what he's about in this world. But there are actually definitive ways that we do that. There are ways that we communicate that in our interactions with each other, and that reflects how we understand God and how we worship God. And that's how this is broken up. That's the design of this. So how you handle what you own shows how you handle God's ownership of your life. And this is because 
the Ten Commandments are meant to show your love for God by your love for others. If you learn nothing else from this morning's message, make sure you at least know this. You can't separate your relationship with God from your relationship with others. You can't do it. You can't do it. They go together. The Ten Commandments define this partnership for us, and the rest of the Bible reinforces it, just as we saw. Okay? Next week, we are going to finish with one final purpose. One final purpose, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Ten Commandments and what they mean for our lives. Lord, this gets very practical, and it begins to even impact, uh, it begins to uh, convict our hearts and show us, Lord, that we sin in so many ways here. We break the Ten Commandments daily because we don't understand how they work. And we are all about living for ourselves rather than living for the glory and honor of God. Father, help us to see not just how to live for the glory of God. Help us to see how we can actually begin to put to death our sin and to communicate that you are great and you are glorious in this world, even through fulfilling what the Ten Commandments were designed for us to do. We do this and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.